Hello, beautiful humans, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Spilling the Tea on Leadership. I'm your friend who always talks too loud, Jack Hesser. And I'm your friend who always talks too quietly, James Lang. For any of our first-time listeners, Spilling the Tea on Leadership is a podcast that talks about what does it mean to be a leader and people's different experiences, centering queer voices. For our friends listening, today we have James. James is currently the digital director for the Kentucky Democratic Party and has served in a ton of different leadership roles within political campaigns and as a community organizer. I feel very lucky to call you a friend and it is great to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I always like to start things off with an icebreaker. So if you could trade places with any politician for just one day, who would it be and why? This is a really tough question. Um, well, I've always been a huge Elizabeth Warren fan, and I don't know that I would want to trade places with any politician because having having known several <laughs> and watched many, I uh, and worked for some, I their lives are kind of miserable a lot of the time because they're always, at least from my perspective, like they're just it's just a constant, never-ending battle of trying to win people over, win over your voters, win over your colleagues, win people over. It's just, it's constant, like, endless, grueling work of being on all the time. That said- oh, You work in <laughs> politics, right? This is you talking about the field you work in. Yes, I work for, yes, I, my entire existence is supporting people who are miserable and nonstop. Now, um, I think that, that said, I think, um, and this is why I would never run for office, like, but that said, I think Elizabeth Warren is one of the politicians who at least, you know, at the national level is, is one of the rare examples of someone who, based on what I know about people who've worked on her campaign and what I know about people who, um, you know, I have a friend who knows her husband, for instance, uh, she's one of the rare examples at the national level of someone who has a real, an, I think, very grounded sense of what it means to be in, in public service and what her mission is and what she's fighting for. And it's not like, it's not corny. It's not some hokey like thing that you say before you, you, know, you get back on call time or whatever. Like it's a real thing. And I think that that actually is a little bit more common in a lot of politicians that people realize that like, it's, I think we've gotten very cynical and for good reason, but like we've kind of forgotten that like, oh yeah, actually like a decent chunk of people in elected office actually do go through their day or at least they went into it because they wanted to make a difference in some way, even if it does start to get really cynical at a certain point. But I think she's one of the rare people to be, despite having gone through, you know, all, a lot of ups and downs during the presidential campaign, et cetera, I think seems to have a really clear sense of why she's there and what she's doing. And one of the things I always liked about her presidential campaign was that in a lot of her speeches, and she gave this really great speech at Washington Square Park that kind of encapsulated this, but they're often rooted in a sense of history and like, why the the priorities and the work that has to, have to be, has to be done right now, why that matters in a broader context, and why it's connected to the people who came before us and and what they fought for as well. So I think you want to switch places with Elizabeth Warren. I just think you want to work for it. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, that's yeah. I, I don't know that I want to switch places with her because <laughs> then I would have to be then I would have to be on with the people of Massachusetts all the time, and I don't want to be. So. No, I so if I had I the way I like read this question, I would want to trade places with like Mitch McConnell or something for one day <laughs> and like leverage that influence. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's an interesting. 
yeah, Mitch McConnell and I don't have a lot of crossover in our political beliefs. Um, and so like, I think it'd be an opportunity, right? Like if you switch first place to that person for a day, like to, you know, that's true. Get that, get that build back better plan through. <laughs> I would want to be Hillary Clinton. Um, not because I, I feel like she just carries around a lot of just like not heavy things on her back every day, but because I'm sure she does, but also, but like, I think I would I want to be her just because imagine like the, like if you're if you're if you were Hillary Clinton, like you can literally just call up anybody in the world. You can go anywhere and do anything. Like there's literally no limits to like what you can. If you want to say, I want to like, it's like the power of celebrity, but also at, like at that point, if you're someone like Clinton or like a former president, even, um, you you don't just have like you know the phone book of a celebrity. You also have like the clout to make international calls you know what i'm saying like jennifer lawrence yeah. or like oprah someone like that right like they, they have the phone book of everyone but if you're that statute of politician you don't just have the celebrity phone book you also have like the oh i'm gonna call up Angela Merkel, you know matters in the world yeah like you can just be like if i want to go to i don't know like see penguins on saturday like i can go see penguins in antarctica and like somebody will just like get their private helicopter and fly me there like you can just do whatever you want like, okay you i know. do want to let you know you don't have to go all the way to antarctica to see penguins that's just so you <laughs> it feels like a pretty pretty significant trip to see a penguin um, if she, but if she wanted to somebody would take her like oh yeah yeah probably well as you probably have gathered from that james works in politics and James, do you want to give us kind of a brief rundown of what your career path has looked like thus far? So I was interested in politics from a young age. Um, I, I remember the 2000 and 2004 elections. The first election that I paid any, any attention to is 2008. I had little like handmade Obama stickers and things on my locker um, in what college. What is politics that like attracted you? Because you said at such a young age you were interested in it. Like what about it like was in interesting to you? I don't know. I think... I think I was always a big history nerd. And so then politics just seemed like the natural extension of that because it's history playing out right now. I think that I'm just very interested in how, I don't know, I thought about it for a long time because I don't, I'm not super, I mean, I'm, I'm competitive, but I'm not like loud and I'm not the, like the sportiest person. And so I think for a lot of people, politics is just sport. And maybe that's just for me, like it is a version of like, there's a certain, there is a certain quality of it. It's, it just kind of feels like a, I don't know. It's a great question. <laughs> I think I do think part of it is it, you 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 are watching history unfold, and I've always been, like I said, a big history nerd. And I think part of that is is also being a, a nerd of understanding how people work and how societies work, and understanding what makes them tick. And so you know you learn a lot of that through politics and and see a lot of that. But yeah. And, and, so and you went to Western Kentucky University, yeah, Western Kentucky University, AO, yes, Hilltoppers, uh, the McDonald's looking uh, mascot. Yeah, Big Red, Big Red. Um, world's best mascot. And so I went to WKU and got involved with um, some local activism around housing justice and fighting for renters' rights. So I got involved with that and got involved in student government, and which is tangentially kind of how I met Jack, your uh, friend, and then went on to, uh, well, the spring that I graduated, I applied for a position with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, which is a statewide progressive organizing, got in. So basically, I graduated in May, June 1st, started my new job, 
very great transition. Not everyone has that kind of transition. So right out of college. And so I did that for a year and a half. And that was just a lot of community organizing in the Bowling Green area. After that, I, um, and I think this is kind of typical of people who work in politics, I had a brief spell of not really doing anything um, and just waiting for the next job to roll on. And so that position ended in December, 2018. And I, I could have reapplied, but I decided I wanted to get, get more involved with um, kind of more direct politics, kind of involved with campaigns and involved with candidates. Well, the next official job that I had was working with um, the the um, it was Andy Bashir's campaign for governor in 2019. So I for about six months in 2019, I didn't. I just kind of was unemployed, and then um, typical for the uh, in politics that happens. Right, it, it, it does happen, and I was basically spending that time trying to get my next job, which I eventually got in July of 2019, and that was as Deputy Press Secretary for um, the Bashir-Coleman campaign for governor. I have to ask, because you did just bring up your work with Andy Bashir's campaign, and one of the things that I personally am a big fan of, of you is your meme page um, <laughs> from a few years ago, the Andy Bashir memes for social distancing teens. How how did that happen? Because that like took <laughs> off, right? It was like, it was a, a big deal. It yeah, it really exploded, and that was um, that was also during a period when I was not doing a whole lot of anything. I think at that time I was I was consulting um, for Representative Minter's re-election campaign. It was after the twenty nineteen race, and so uh, yeah, coronavirus, COVID nineteen hit, and the governor was being very and has been very um, strong and steady and and responsible in in how he has responded responded to the pandemic. And there were just kind of some memes going around. I think people were just bored at home. Um, a friend of mine, Jeremy McFarland, actually, is the one who technically started it. He had the idea of, I'm just going to start this Facebook group and like with like some just some friends, maybe 100, 200 people max. Not a large thing, but a place where people can just put their memes. Within like two or three days, it exploded to thousands and thousands and thousands of people wanting to join and uh, I think within a, within less than a week, we were at 250,000 people. Oh my, two um, a quarter of a million people. Yeah, and it was like the memes were coming in, like the, because we had, you, you know, we, you were we wanted so to keep it. Created it. But you were helping to manage the page, right? That's the- Yeah, so, so within, so like the, the, the day that Jeremy created it, he asked if I wanted to be an admin. And so, um, or maybe the day after. And so I, so Jeremy and I remained, remained the admins. And then as it just exploded, it was just insane and we had no way to keep up with the amount of memes that were coming in because we had, you know, we wanted to approve the posts that were being submitted because we just didn't want the whole thing to turn into a dumpster fire. So, um, but memes were being submitted for approval, like every, literally every second that like you could watch just boom, 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 like new, new memes coming in. So it was insane. Um, so we finally had to, within a few days of just getting our heads around it, we had to try to find some people to help us moderate. We had to find people to help us, um, look out for stuff, hide stuff, bans, you know, kick out people who are being not nice, kick out, you know, just like, you know, approve memes, decline memes. It was just insane. We had people, you know, we were trying to come up with like rules, you know, like on the fly, I was trying to come up with like community standards for our group and everything. And I think that's so wild because like it's, I mean, it, it almost feels like that's always the case with things that go viral, right? It's never the intention. It's never the goal, right? You create, yeah. like it was created for this small, community and then people people 
find comfort and humor, right? And, in, and enjoyment. And so just, I can't even imagine trying to facilitate or operate a page with hundreds of thousands of people. That's like, that's insane. Yeah, it was wild. I was, and, I, and, and, we would, and we would get direct messages too from people, you know, you know cause they, cause they, because they, they could see who, you know, the advents were and it was not, you know, and we, and we would post things sometimes and everything like just kind of PSAs about things. But like every single day we'd get like, I get like a, at least a dozen message requests on Facebook from people being like, why is it my meme been approved yet? I submitted it three hours ago. Well, you know, or like, why was my meme declined? You know, and it's like, because maybe you've posted like the same meme that people have posted. Like, yeah. And unfortunately that page is no longer in existence. Facebook took it down, yeah. right? At some point. Yes, Facebook took it down at uh, the beginning of last year. And I don't know why it just, it was just, it was taken well, it down. Wasn't it was compatible with the metaverse. Sorry. <laughs> I guess it wasn't, so. Mark Zuckerberg said no. <laughs> All right, so kind of refocusing us here a little bit. And now, of course, in your work as digital director of marketing, clear connection there, of course, running that epic Facebook page and now in your work. I want to know, it's January here. And so what I'm kind of talking to all of my guests this month about are just goals and resolutions. Do you, James, do you have New Year's resolutions or do you set, you know, yearly goals for yourself at all? I mean, I kind of have like New Year's resolutions in the sense that I, I don't know, like this year I'm trying to take better care of my nails, <laughs> like things like that. Nothing really significant. I'm making more money this year than I did before. So especially last year, last year was rough because I was out of work for a while and then I was working and then I was trying to catch up on being in a hole and it was just, it was kind of rough. So this year I'm like trying to like set a very not super tangible goal of financial stability, <laughs> like having having some, uh, a little bit of security, maybe getting a pet, a dog or something. It's interesting that you just mentioned that though about financial stability. I think it was CSSP or something um, had published an article I think two years ago. And in terms of like disproportionate data, the queer community in general, that's like one of the most common trends is financial stability or rather financial instability. <laughs> And just the idea of like put, saving money and also, you know, well, part of it, of course, is like access to jobs and housing. Um, but that's like a really common thing in the queer community is like not having that stable financial income, but also like savings. And so yeah. I think it is super important. Like when you find yourself in a position where you are fortunate enough to like have some sort of steady income coming in to be putting that aside. Uh, and I think a part of that probably stems from, and I, I mean, we can go deeper here, but like, I think probably part of that stems from like support systems, right, in place for queer people. And, you know, there might not be the same familial support that can come in from non-queer right. individuals. But so, yeah, it's just, it struck me that that was one of your sort of unofficial. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I have that support system and I think that's, that literally has helped me through, you know, a lot of moments where there've been quite a few moments over the years when in between jobs or this and that, when like, but a lot deeper of a problem if I didn't have family who could, you know, help me out a little bit just to make sure I had a bit of a safety net. The, the good thing about this job and, and also just in politics too, like that's, you know, you're, you're, it's so unstable because you're just, it's campaign to campaign and, and you're always looking for, for work again. Whereas with this job, it's a little bit more, um, there's some, there's a little more stability. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not working for a campaign, I'm working for the state party. So, um, you know, I have a little bit more room to kind of plan ahead. And you've had a lot of success, like pretty early on, which is, I don't think super common in politics to be able to like 
quickly move up as you have. Uh, so have you intentionally set goals for yourself that have pushed you or have you just sort of vibed and yeah. floated into these opportunities? <laughs> Probably more the latter. Um, I don't know that I, I don't really um, have a, um, an organized way of setting goals for myself long-term. I think if I can just like be able to set goals for what I want to do each day or each week and achieve those, that's a success. Um, part of that, I think, I think it's worth mentioning because some of your listeners might have this um, be in the same situation. But you know, part of that I, is that I have ADHD, and so I get to deal with um, you know a brain that is like very <laughs> finds it very difficult to um, organize and focus in a really consistent and sustained way. So you know, medication of that helps. Lots of things help. But um, if I can just plan out what I'm going to do each day or each week, you know, work-wise and that kind of thing, then that you know that's a big success and a big, really a big improvement actually on on what I how I used to operate before like I didn't I never like all through school and college I was really I could not keep like agendas or anything like that I, I tried I could never do it and I didn't actually start doing um, any kind of like week planning or anything like that until I worked for KFTC and it was basically drilled into us that you had to um, plan out your week your and then your quarter did you find that helpful being forced to do those like kind of weekly yeah, yeah, because yeah, we, we, we had check-ins with our supervisors, so we had to produce our week plans every week. And so I think it was very helpful to be forced to do that. I think goal setting in general, whether it's short-term or long-term, I really do think it's a skill. And I think sometimes we forget that and we like set a goal and it doesn't go the way we want it to. And so we kind of consider it a failure instead of thinking of it as like, no, like this is a skill that you're working on, right? And so there's going to be ups and flows. If you set a resolution yeah. and in February you don't make it, right? Because your resolution was to go to the gym three times a week and, oh no, I didn't go to the gym this week. I think we tend to see it as a total failure as opposed to like, okay, do I need to like modify this goal? Do I need to like change something else in my schedule? Um, because like any skill, you don't jump in and, or, and like with perfection immediately. And even if you are really good at, let's say basketball, right? You're still going to have off days or off weeks and like that happens. And so I think really being mindful of remembering goal setting, goals in general are a skill and you, you will ebb and flow with it, but it, just trying to do it, right? Practicing it is gonna make you so much better and just like help maintain a little focus. I'm not saying you need to set goals for every single aspect or part of your life, but I think having some, even if they are vague, even if you don't write them down, just like having them in your head is a great start. Yeah, absolutely. and. So as, yeah, as far as short term, that's kind of how I operate um, is, is just kind of thinking about jotting those things down, um, usually usually week by week um, is, how I, is how I do it. And I find myself doing that now in jobs where I'm not required to do it, but I, I find it to be helpful. So that's a huge, huge step for me. Some people, you know, have much longer term plans, planning, I think. I really just find it helpful to look at like the next few years because I, especially in politics, so much can change and like, it's just really hard to know. It's hard for me to really visualize a whole lot in a very concrete way beyond that because it's just so much that's unknown. But I do try to internalize a lot of rules, like kind of just like life rules from people that I, you know, mentors, people that I look up to and trust and who have been really personally and professionally helpful to me in a lot of ways. When you um, say life rules, what, what, what do you mean? Like borrowing life rules from people? I don't know, one of the, like one of the best things anyone ever, has ever said to me is like the 24 hour rule of like when you, someone has sent you an email or, told you some, you know, a text or something that like really pisses you off, like 
give it 24 hours to respond so that like you're not you're not responding with like your emotions you're responding with a much more clear-headed sense of what you should or shouldn't say um go to things like when you're invited to stuff go to stuff like you know especially if it's social hours after work i i'm like i'm terrible at networking i hate it i but it's you know it, you just kind of have to be in these in these rooms and these you know in these places especially in politics and it's just part of it's just part of it um and even if you're someone who just really is very resistant to the idea of like mingling and like getting my name out there like i'm terrible at it I actually do think that helps me in a lot of ways, though, because I'm, you know, I'm never that person. Like, I've worked for the governor literally in pretty much three different capacities now, if you count this current job as as being kind of tangentially working for him as, since he's kind of the de facto leader of the party. Like, I I worked for Governor Andy Bashir in, in three different ways. Now, I have yet to actually take a, take a picture with him. <laughs> like, I don't have any pictures of me with him. There are pictures of me on the job, working, doing something, like my phone, you know, recording something, standing behind him. There are things like that, because it just feels very, um, I don't know, and there's nothing wrong with getting a picture with your boss, but like, it just has never occurred to me, it's never felt comfortable to be like, oh, can, I, can you pause what you're Yeah, but you're definitely right. Like in the world of politics, like that is something that like so many people, Everyone has that. Done, right? They would want that, right? They would want to like, so that when they say, oh, I work for Ant, like, you know, Andy Bashir, they could like show you the picture of them with Andy Bashir as if like right. that alone shows you their merit as right of like what they did and what they contributed as opposed to like the actual work that yeah. was done. I know so many people who've never who have not worked for him in any capacity who have more, many multiple pictures of themselves yeah. with him at various events. And then especially and when they like put that out there on social media, right? Like they're trying to present this version, right, of a story that shows like a connection that doesn't even really exist. I hear that. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is I think it's it's a, it's so important. And I think about this a lot as somebody who spends a lot of my day on social media just for my job and also just personally, like it, you know, what, what, what people present and are able to present to the world is often not, and to be clear, I'm not, you know, I'm not you know, criticizing people who take pictures of politicians. I'm just saying that it is something that for me personally is a very low, I'm a very low key person. I don't um, seek the spotlight. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm very comfortable being behind the scenes. Um, and it just has never really, that drive to like, you know, get people to look at me has, has never really been a thing. And I think that it's helped in a lot of ways. Like I just said, it, it makes, it, it confirms to people, I think that I'm not just in this for clout or whatever. Like I'm, I actually genuinely care about the job and it's not about like trying to impress people. Um, but, I think that that is something to keep in mind because when you see so much like social media is really about self-fashioning and about presenting a certain image that you want to present to the world and we all do it i mean i do it everyone does it but it's it's so important when you're using that when you're using social media to understand that um and not compare yourself too much and like not get too wrapped up in this person's doing this this you know well, and I think that plays into like how I think some people when they're thinking about like their goals for themselves, I think a lot of people like think about their goals through the lens of comparison themselves or comparing themselves to others, right? They're like seeing what other people are doing or being on social media. And I think that even if it's subconscious, I think it definitely influences people's goals. Like when people are setting, whether they're fitness goals or health goals or money goals, right? I think people are very quick to have their goals with others in mind as opposed to being like okay what's actually important to me right what do i want 
um, whether it's in the professional setting or even the personal life. So I think that happens a lot on social media. I am going to yeah. hardcore switch us because we are a little bit over time um, to our trivia okay. question. Trivia! Um, here's my trivia question for you. It's related to yours. 4,000 years ago, the people of Babylon celebrated New Year's in what month, James? What month? You got a one in 12 shot here. Oh, well, um, what month? Wait, like what month of the, of what our calendar? Of calendar, so like. Okay, <laughs> for a moment I was thinking of like a Babylonian. Yeah, you were like trying to be like, I don't know the names no. of those. No, I don't know the Babylonian calendar. Um, I'm gonna say June. Is that right? Incorrect. The answer is March because we're talking about the beginning of planting, right? The beginning of farming, like planting new seeds okay. in the ground. And so March marked the beginning of the year. In okay. I was thinking summer solstice, but you know, I was trying to you know, think, put some- Okay, yeah, I see where you're going with there. No, I would, yeah. So March, because you know, you're planting your little seeds in the ground, making magic happen. All that, all that good stuff marking the beginning of a new year. James, hey, thank you so much for joining me here on Spilling the Tea on Leadership. You can stay connected with James on their social media, Twitter and Instagram at jameslineky. Get it, KY, Kentucky, yeah. All right. So James, what is part of your journey that you're super excited for in 2022? Well, I'm um, just continuing with this with this job, I think is, is the big thing. And I'm getting my first full year into this job. I started in December, toward the end of December. And so I'm just excited to uh, to just see how it goes. And it's going to be quite the year with, between the elections and everything else. And it's going to be going to be wild, but just very excited to, um, you know, really dive into this, this, this new chapter of my, uh, of my journey. It is going to be a busy year for you. And y'all should definitely stay connected with James. Um, feel free also to follow me on Twitter, Twitch, or Instagram at Jack McHare, as well as my part-time co-host and full-time husband, Derek Savakesser at dsapster on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us and make good life choices.